From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. I'm Sam Brash. Hey, uh, it's Sam. I'm talking to you from the back of a committee hearing at the state capitol. I won't lie, these things can be uh, really boring, but there's something I can count on as a reporter. In this state, lawmakers get a limited number of bills, and each one gets at least one hearing and a vote. And House Bill 1031 passes uh, on a vote of 11 to 0. All right. Moving on, last but certainly not least is... This season of Purplish, we're going to focus in on the Colorado Capitol, how it works and who it serves. But this episode, we're also going to look east to Washington, D.C. Because there's something that struck me in the years I've spent sitting in hearing after hearing after hearing at the state legislature. It just seems like it works a whole lot better than Congress. And I think there's some clear reasons why reasons that can maybe help point the way to a fix. Because, I mean, seriously, it needs one. This is day 22 of the partial government shutdown, now the longest in U.S. history. 80,000 federal employees are on temporary layoffs. 420,000 are working without President pay. President Trump and congressional Democrats remain locked in a dispute over border wall funding. Most coverage of the shutdown focused on negotiations over Trump's border wall. But here's what I noticed. For weeks, lawmakers, especially in the Senate, weren't really arguing about how to reopen the government. Because the bills to do that, they weren't even coming up for votes. I urge my friend Leader McConnell to allow a vote on the House passed legislation to reopen the government. Leader McConnell refuses to let the Senate vote on these bipartisan bills. And I'll bet you it would pass with a veto-proof majority. Why? Because everybody's constituents in this place would say, are you out of your mind? Congressional leadership has almost complete control over what happens to bills once they're introduced. Lawmakers could go on CNN, they could make angry floor speeches, but for the most part, big fights like the shutdown, they hinge on just a few people, Pelosi, Schumer, McConnell, and the president. We want to do the same thing we did last year, this year. That's our proposal. If it's good then, it's good now, and it won't shut down the government. Chuck, we can build a but much bigger it. section let's, let's with debate, more money. Let's debate in okay. private, okay? Yeah, let's debate in private. The reason is something that we in the press don't love to talk about. Parliamentary procedure. Rules are why bills in Congress are often dead on arrival, even when they could possibly pass. Rules help explain the tiny negotiating table that shuts out almost all lawmakers. It's why some want Congress to adopt something like what already exists in Colorado, a requirement that every bill gets a hearing and a vote. They think more votes could increase accountability and encourage compromise. But that's a lot easier said than done. For Colorado, getting that rule took a popular revolt from voters. How that happened here and what happened afterwards shows there probably isn't a single answer for a place as seriously messed up as Congress. But hey, Colorado may contain a place to start. Okay, so turn back the clock about 30 years, and you'll find the Colorado legislature worked almost exactly like Congress. Back then, legislative leaders had far more power to snuff out ideas without any official debate. 
and that really bothered this guy. So why don't you just start by introducing yourself? Well, um, my name's Wayne Knox. I'm 90 years old now. He's since turned 91. And I served in the uh, legislature for 32 years, uh, 16 terms. And I think that's a record in the House in terms of length. It is a record. Knox worked as a Democratic representative from Denver, and he served at the State House longer than anyone has and probably ever will. We have term limits now, which I think are bad, so you can't do it anymore. I met Knox at his retirement home in Denver. Pictures from his career cover the walls, posters his family made for his many birthdays. He still looks a lot like himself as a younger man. Thick mustache, big round glasses. For most of his time in office, Republicans controlled the House, so Knox spent a lot of time in the minority. So a lot of my history is being the true dissenter, uh, pointing out what's wrong with bills and things like that. And here's what would really bug Knox. He would write a bill, give it to the speaker, who'd assign it to a committee. But then the committee chair had absolute power in the committee. The uh, chairs actually had uh, the bills, the physical bills, and he could put it in his desk and just forget about it. Walk me through that one more time. So the committee chair would literally take the bill and put it in the Yes, yes, literally, literally. (laughs) You submit it, it goes to a committee, and that's the last that's ever heard of it. There are stories that these committee chairs had desks overflowing with Democratic bills. It's a move known as the pocket veto. A committee chair kills a bill just by refusing to schedule it for a hearing. And this practice didn't just piss off Knox. You know, lots of groups had been victims of non-action. Legislation that they supported that had been introduced had not been acted on. So that kind of really led to the effort by folks in a number of organizations. And they joined him to draft a solution called the Gavel Amendment. Gavel was an acronym standing for give a vote to every legislator. Pretty good, it's pretty good. Yeah. Gavel like the little wooden hammers lawmakers use to start and end hearings. Pretty clever, right? Gavel did a couple of things. It said lawmakers had to hear legislation before committing their votes, and it ended the power of leaders to block bills from the get-go. Knox tried to pass Gavel through the legislature. Unsurprisingly, it failed, so he and his supporters gathered signatures to put it on the ballot. And in the fall of 1988... Uh, Things worked out for us, and in the general election, we passed Gavel by a significant margin. 44 points to be exact. That moment remains unique in U.S. history. No other state has voted to weaken the power of a majority party to control the legislative agenda. And Knox thinks it worked. Well, yeah, certainly everything got voted on in committee. And uh, I think I had a vote on things I wouldn't have had a vote on before. And that might sound small, but because all bills at least went before a committee, he says lawmakers had more chances to debate policies, more chances to modify their ideas, more chances to find compromise. Now, when he watches the news from Washington, he sees the same problems he sought to solve 30 years ago. I think the United States Congress could use a gavel amendment. 
there are a few people who've been to Congress and agree. I don't know, something I'm always curious about. Do you, do you have pets as a congressperson? No, I don't. You don't? Would no, you I want miss one? That. Well, um, now I do. I don't even have a plant yet. This is former Republican Congressman Mike Kaufman. He represented Aurora and other Denver suburbs for years, but lost his race last November. And he's doing exactly what I would do if I ever lost my job. He's thinking of getting a dog. Oh, I think, you know, I like mixed breed dogs. Yeah. Um, It's kind of like a shepherd mix of some kind. Anyway, Kaufman served in the state legislature before being elected to Congress. He's not somebody who's studied the differences between these institutions. He's lived them. And he thinks Congress is long overdue for something like gavel. It would be great. What it does by opening the process, you just, you're going to have bipartisanship and you're going to have bipartisan compromises. Compromise on issues like immigration. For Kaufman in particular, that meant DACA, the program that gives limited protections to immigrants brought to the U.S. as kids. During his last term, he wanted to make those protections permanent, but he couldn't get around his own party's leaders. I mean, myself, as a Republican, when it came to an issue with, say, like DACA, I felt out of step with Republican leadership, and that was out of step with my district. Mm And so, you know, how do I articulate as a Republican what was in the best interest of my district in a closed process that centralized power at the very top? Like, because on a basic level, you feel like you're sent there to do a job, which is to represent your constituents. Right. And you just can't do it. (laughs) I mean, in that sense, you just can't do it. I just think you get better policy, better outcomes, more representative government by opening up the process. And I think Gavel did that in a large part for the state of Colorado. And Washington, D.C. still needs to go further in that direction. Kaufman and Knox, the old lawmaker from earlier, see the same basic problem with Congress. It's not so much the people, it's a defective process, one that funnels power to party leaders and limits debate for everyone else. And the solution, it's right here, in the beautiful rules governing the airy, open chambers of the Colorado State Capitol. Right? (laughs) Seriously, Sam, you have been here long enough. You should know how this place works by now. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, one thing we know about people in control. They rarely just give up power. They adapt. Colorado Public Radio's new email newsletter is called The Lookouts. It's a daily rundown of top stories, the best reporting from CPR News and other Colorado outlets, and the most compelling conversations from Colorado Matters. Sign up to get a smart, sometimes funny take on your daily news briefing, delivered directly to your inbox Monday through Friday. All it takes is a quick read to keep you informed and connected to Colorado news. Sign up to get the lookouts in your inbox. Subscribe at CPR.org. And know that if you like what you've been hearing on Purplish, members make everything Colorado Public Radio does possible. Find out how to become an Evergreen partner at CPR.org. You're back with Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. I'm Sam Brash. This episode, we're talking about power. The power to get ideas in front of lawmakers and just maybe pass policies that change people's lives. Colorado's capital is not like the federal Congress. Here, voters in 1988 shifted power away from party leaders and put it in the hands of individual lawmakers by passing this thing called the Gavel Amendment. Many think something like it could break up partisan gridlock in Washington, D.C. 
What Colorado did remains a unique experiment in U.S. government. And you know who loves experiments? Political scientists. Well, I think what was what was great was that there was really no other changes taking place uh, at the same time, so we could really isolate the effect of this. This is Vlad Kogan, associate professor of political science at Ohio State University, and I study um, state and local politics. And 10 years ago, he wrote an article about Gavel with another political scientist. I'm Mike Bender. I'm an associate professor at the University of North Florida. And what got these guys really excited about Gavel is something only professional political nerds would ever notice. The amendment passed on an off election year. The vast majority of the legislators were consistent. The speakership was consistent. The, the governor was consistent. All the big political apparatuses were the same. That meant they could pretty much put the arguments for Gavel to the test. These guys wanted to know, by allowing a vote on every bill, did lawmakers get more chances to be independent from party leaders? Did they pass more moderate policies? And they found, yeah, that happened. The majority party lost some votes, and there was a lot of, not a lot, but there was certainly some more movement toward moderate policies where some moderate Republicans and a bulk of Democrats would vote on issues. And they also think they can say why. Before Gavel, party leaders often blocked bills so vulnerable lawmakers wouldn't have to face votes on tough issues. Afterwards, those bills couldn't be quietly forgotten about. They had to get at least one vote. Now members have to go on the record. So it really changes politics in a fundamental way. Gavel worked almost like a political x-ray. As more lawmakers voted on more issues, the public could see the cracks and fissures within a political party. And these poli-sci guys think that's basically a good thing. One of the big problems in state legislatures especially is that at the state level, really democracy doesn't work very well. When we look at public opinion on issues and we look at the positions that are actually enacted, the public policies, the level of congruence is very, very low. And so I think anything that, um, that creates more accountability, that makes it more visible, that allows voters to assign credit and blame for the policies that they see, I think that's going to improve democracy. Okay, cool. All right, guys, I think we're good. All right. Thanks, Sam. Right. Take care. Okay, quick recap on all this. By bringing up every bill for a debate, voters could see where their state representatives or senators stood on a wider range of issues. And that actually changed their votes sometimes, leading to more moderate policies. But remember when I said that power doesn't die, it just adapts? Here's how that happens almost every day at the Colorado Capitol. Imagine for a second that you are the Speaker of the Colorado House of Representatives. First of all, congratulations. Most afternoons, while everybody else is off doing other stuff, you have to go to the House floor with all the bills submitted that day. The House will come back to order. Introduction of bills. You walk up to the podium and a clerk would read a summary of each bill. 1012 Barcelona's Beckman and Valdez, also under appeals concerning the flexibility of the part on personnel. To and yeah, this is like the world's most boring auction. Executed pursuant to Senate Bill 17-267. And then you have to decide, where should it go? Which committee? For most bills, it would be obvious. Highway funding bills go to the Committee on Transportation. Is referred to the Committee on Transportation and Local Healthcare bills to the Committee on Public Healthcare and Human Services. is assigned to the Committee on Public Healthcare and Human Services. But what if you came across a bill that you knew was meant to embarrass vulnerable lawmakers on the proper committee? You might want to send it somewhere where it could vanish without any political damage, a place where bills go to die. 
a legislative slaughterhouse with trusted executioners. House Bill 1022 is referred to the Committee on State, Veterans, and Military Affairs. The Committee on State, Veterans, and Military Affairs. Its formal role is to hear bills on elections and military issues, and it does. But to Capitol insiders, each panel in the House and Senate goes by a much more menacing name. The Kill Committee. The Kill Committee. No, that motion fails on a 3-6 to six vote. Senate Bill 40 fails. That motion fails on a 3-6 vote. Senate Bill 58 fails. Seeing no objection, the bill is postponed indefinitely. Kill committees are part of life under the Golden Dome. I mean, if you ask the lawmakers who sit on them, you'll get a stock answer. Every bill gets, quote, a full and fair hearing. But some cop to it. Mark Ferrandino served as the Democratic House Speaker from 2012 to 2014. During his tenure, he stacked state affairs with lawmakers he could trust and who weren't at risk of losing re-election. State affairs was known as the committee where you had safer members from both parties who would be assigned to it and be able to take the tough votes on difficult political situations. Ferrandino remembers one example. In 2013, Republicans pushed for Jessica's Law, which would have set strict mandatory sentences for sex offenders. They claimed it would deter crimes against kids, but Ferrandino says Colorado already had strict laws, and he suspected a different motive. They want all of our members on record so they can do a mailer against it. We'll make sure it doesn't get into a committee where people who are in tough situations in elections are going to have to vote on something that is not really about policy. It's really about politics. So he dispatched it to the Kill Committee. And this is not just a Democratic practice. Ray Scott, a Republican from Grand Junction, chaired the Senate State Affairs Committee when his party controlled that chamber. There's a group of legislators, and that's probably all of us, quite frankly, that will run uh, particular bills that are not designed to really accomplish much but make a political statement. I think it's fair to say that there are committees that are designed to take care of the political statements. That's pretty much what we do, a lot of. Seeing kill committees in action made me doubt the power of gavel. Each party appoints its safest members to take the tough votes, and they usually vote the way leadership wants them to. Those in more vulnerable districts don't have to worry about it. On the other hand, this is politics. Of course lawmakers run messaging bills to mess with their opposition. And of course they run highly partisan bills that don't stand a chance, but help keep their base happy. There should probably be some way to block those bills so they don't eat up everybody's time. It made me really unsure if something like gavel would actually help Congress. So I went to somebody who's been at the State House a lot longer than I have. So, like, when did you uh, start actually covering the state capitol? I think my first session was 2007. Whoa. Okay. So it's actually is like a dozen years, like 12 years. Yeah. Wow. It's been a while. (laughs) This is Benta Berkland, CPR's public affairs reporter. And I'm guessing you've seen a lot of bills uh, die in kill committees. Yes. Countless bills, easily, frequently. Right. And that means legislative leaders still have this really powerful tool to shoot down bills and by doing so, protect a few of their lawmakers from taking tough votes. I mean, does that mean that that gavel actually doesn't work that well, that it that it doesn't do what it was intended to do? Well, if you are a real fan of transparency. I am a real fan of transparency. <laughs> 
you know, an even stronger policy might be to put every bill to a full floor vote. Right. That way everyone votes on everything. The problem with that is committees serve a purpose. You know, they're supposed to be places where lawmakers refine legislation, make changes, bring up concerns from their district. Also, if lawmakers have expertise in something like agriculture, water law, health care, anything, that's where this expertise comes into play. Okay, uh, yeah, right. So, like, committees exist kind of for a reason. And, you know, it's worth noting that committee hearings sometimes can move into the, the realm of theater, but that that could be useful, too. What do you mean? What's good about political theater? Okay, so we know one bill is going to come up this year that would end the statewide ban on rent control. Which is something that I know a lot of Democrats don't don't like that idea. They don't want that bill to pass when it comes up. Sure, and if leadership doesn't like it or thinks it could be used in some way to to paint them negatively with voters, they'll have a lot of committees that could probably defeat it. But even then, it's an idea that will have to be discussed, maybe at length, in public. Senator Julie Gonzalez is the Democrat from Denver who plans to introduce that measure. As she sees it, she still gets a chance to make an argument on behalf of her constituents. When I introduce any piece of legislation, whether or not that is regarded to be controversial, it is because that is what community is asking me to do, because their lived experiences demonstrate that they need a change in the law. But I wonder if that matters. I mean, do these committee hearings ever change anyone's mind or or are they just a chance for somebody like Gonzalez to to make a point? I think both. I've definitely seen people change their minds unexpectedly. And then also you are making a point. But as Democratic Majority Leader Alec Garnett says, even if something doesn't pass at the Capitol one year, perseverance can eventually pay off. You are bringing attention to the issue. In the past, you know, Representative Wellington Webb brought a civil unions bill in the early 80s in a Republican-controlled legislature that clearly didn't have a chance of passing, but I think elevated an issue that is the power of allowing each member to do what they think is right. So just to bring this back to where we started this episode, it sounds like you think something like gavel would be good for Congress. It'd be good for lawmakers to be able to set up these committee hearings about different ideas that they think are important. You know, I I really don't know. (laughs) Why? Why don't you think it'd be a good thing? Well, first, practically, it could never happen. There's no ballot initiatives at the national level. And let's say Congress passed a rule on its own. What are the chances legislative leaders would like to give up power? I mean, that's not going to happen. And then even if by some miracle it did pass, the only way gavel works here in Colorado is because we have bill limits. Yeah, that's something that we haven't actually talked about yet. You know, every bill gets a hearing, but that only works in Colorado because lawmakers have, have these hard caps on how many bills they can bring up in a session. Yeah, and Congress doesn't have bill limits. They can run as many bills as they want. And they're probably not going to want to give up that right. If every single bill did get a hearing, just think how quickly the whole system could clog up. And then there'd be partisan gridlock, gotcha bills, base-pleasing messaging bills. I don't think anyone would think that's an improvement. Okay, but let's say like it could happen that, that Congress passes something like gavel into its rules and limits how many bills each member can introduce. Something like that you don't think would be would be good for Congress? I still am undecided because we see just how high the stakes are in Congress. Yeah. Committee hearings turn into national blockbuster events, and it's easy for it to veer off and away from substantive policy. 
playing partisan politics, a chance to try to get on Fox News or MSNBC, help your reelection, or set the national stage for higher office. And I think in the cases where Gavel has worked in Colorado, it's been those times when committees were used to discuss policy. And the media covered those hearings from that policy point of view. In Congress, and for the reporters who cover Congress, it's often about the drama. Something like Gavel could just be another way to serve it up, and then it may make it harder for them to pass other substantive policies that they want to compromise on. Right. Uh, so <laughs> we're kind of ending on you know this down note, and this podcast is kind of supposed to be about democracy and <laughs> solutions for democracy. So do you have anything that's kind of a little more uh, oh, Sorry, upbeat? I feel bad now, but, um, you know, What I think is that changing the rules in Congress would just be one part of any solution to try to break that gridlock. First, people have to believe in and follow the spirit of a rule like Gavel. I think Congress would have a lot of work to do on that front. Yeah. Okay. Well, Benta, um, thanks so much. Thank you, Sam. It's always fun. That's it for this month's episode, and I did say month. We'll be back in March, and each month after that throughout the legislative session. We definitely have ideas for future episodes, but we want to hear yours as well. You can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Samuel Brash. You can also go to CPR.org and ask questions through Colorado Wonders, which we use to explore the state one question at a time. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a CPR member or join today at CPR.org. This episode was written and produced by yours truly with help from Nate Miner, Rachel Essabrook, and Ben Marcus. Audio production by Brad Turner and Rebecca Romberg. Original music by that same Brad Turner and Daniel Mesher. And this episode of Purplish, like every episode of Purplish, was edited by Megan Verlee. Talk to you later.